Hi everyone, Sandman here. Yesterday I spoke about men going their own way preparing for life as senior citizens, and I only briefly touched upon the issue of getting your living situation right from the standpoint of money. Today I want to go into more depth about this issue. But before I start this video, I'm going to put on a big disclaimer onto my advice. Remember, I'm not selling anything, and if you end up losing money in the short or long term following this advice, I can't be held responsible. It's just my opinion, after all. And I have been known to be wrong from time to time as well. But I've also been known to be right, so take everything with a grain of salt. Anyways, the first financial hurdle that men need to get over is getting out of as much debt as possible, or trying to rid themselves of it completely. Debt is often good for the economy, but it's very bad for individuals. If you're the lender, you get to collect the interest on your money and profit from it. But if you're the debtor, others profit off the repayment of your debts. And if you're thinking about buying a new car and getting into debt, why not just buy one with cash money that's used and avoid that debt completely? The only time it makes sense to lease or purchase a vehicle in a financing program is if you can write it off as a business expense. And in those cases, it's mostly leasing. Using credit cards also makes sense only if you pay them off completely and pay off the complete balance each and every single month. And getting a credit card with points is also an awesome idea. I have a card up here in Canada that knocks off roughly 20 cents off of a gallon of gasoline at most filling stations. I also tend to find the cheapest filling station in my area with the best quality gas in the city and stick to those. If you're thinking about buying gas at Costco just because it's cheaper, you'll end up having more mechanical issues with your car in the long run. Also, another tip is to purchase your own car parts and find a mechanic that will only charge you for the installation. Most mechanics put cheap parts in your car and charge you the price of the best parts. Better yet, if you can do the mechanical work yourself, then that's a good idea too. But before I give you any more juicy tidbits like these ones, let me go over the different types of wealth. There are essentially three types of wealth primary, secondary, and promissory wealth. Primary wealth is ownership of productive land. If you own farmland, for example, an oil well, a gold mine, etc., then you basically have primary wealth. You can always use that land to produce oil, food, or precious metals, and then you can convert the value of those goods into money as well as income. Most of us, however, cannot afford to own our own farmland or a gold mine. But if you're ever in the position where you can, then I would advise taking it. Owning a large multi-acre estate will mean producing your own food and possibly having your own serfs in the future working on that land. You could end up being the ruler of your own little MGTOW fiefdom. With regards to secondary wealth, I'm talking about the final end result product from productive land. This means stored food such as grains, preserves, or burnable wood, if you have a woodlot in many cases. And of course, gold, silver, and copper, and any other materials that were pulled out of the ground on that land. The major difference between primary wealth and secondary wealth is that secondary wealth is a derivative of primary wealth. And if you manage it poorly and spend it without thinking about it, then you'll basically lose it. Then we come down to paper-based wealth or promissory wealth. Paper-based wealth includes the money in your wallet, the stocks and bonds in your portfolio, and possibly your home if you live in a suburban townhouse, condo, or even a regular type of house. The reason I lump residential properties such as condos and houses in with other paper assets is because their worth is directly tied to the economy, and not the intrinsic land value itself. If oil prices go up 8 or $9 a gallon in the United States, then owning a home in the suburbs will become very expensive and difficult to maintain. Today that house might be worth 400000 but that may go down. 
One only needs to look at what's been going on in Detroit to understand that even the value of suburban homes can go to virtually zero if there are no jobs near them or energy prices get way too high. In that case, driving to and from work will also become very expensive for many people, so the value of real estate will plummet. Suburban homes are, have more paper wealth than actual intrinsic wealth in them. Back in 2007, I think it was actually oil that brought the American real estate market down to its knees. It wasn't subprime mortgages. It was $150 a barrel oil that did it. If oil were, say, $300 or $400 a barrel, do you think that homes would be worth as much as they are today? What happens when the shale oil and gas bubble bursts and production goes into terminal decline? Once gas supplies fall, do you really think we can go back to burning coal and wood for heating suburban homes? Where will we find the trucks, mines, and woodlots to provide that energy? That's why if you're going to buy property, make sure that you buy a country estate or home or even a farm with lots of land around it. One day you might need to farm the land around the house for food. For the long term, condos are also a terrible investment because most of them are heated with natural gas. And how long before the property maintenance companies jack up the cost of electricity and gas heating? And most of those condos are heated with natural gas, which will one day become scarce. One day, probably within the next five to ten years. Choosing to buy a small piece of rural land just outside a small town may be the way to go in the future. That way you can get into town and remain civilized while still having your own food and produ food production to fall back on. What men going their own way should ideally be planning to do is to plan for good times as well as the bad. Don't bet the farm on just one outcome. Vention Migtao owns a house in the country and I'm also guessing a condo in the city. He's prepared for both prosperity through rising property values and poverty through collapsing real estate prices and rising energy costs. If it was 20 to 30 years ago, I would be telling people to buy bank stocks, collect the dividend, and reinvest that money into more bank stocks and repeat the process over and over again till you're rich. Today, however, you have to be weary of bank stocks. They've already been bailed out once by the government. But now the government and the banks are tied at the hip, and if one of them fails, they both fail. So in my opinion, bank stocks may be good short-term investments if the S&P continues to rise, but they make terrible long-term investments if people curb their borrowing habits and save more money for retirement. With regards to Bitcoin, I know that many of you have become very big fans of Bitcoin. But the truth is, I don't know who this Satoshi Yakamoto is, this creator of the Bitcoin currency. And truth be told, I think that Bitcoin was created by the CIA as an alternate currency to silver and gold. If people funnel their ordinary currencies into Bitcoin instead of precious metals, then it suppresses the price of precious metals, but barely affects traditional paper currencies. I think the idea was to get as many fringe investors away from secondary wealth and put it into Bitcoin, where it's a derivative wealth, and where the value can be more manipulated and destroyed in the future. Gold, however, is virtually indestructible, and never loses its luster, and always protects at least some of your purchasing power. King Tutankhamun was covered with gold almost 3,000 years ago, and that gold is just as shiny and rare as it is today. But don't think about just owning stuff when you plan for your retirement, as well as planning for your financial future. There is a lot to be said about social capital, the friends in your life, the connections you make with others, especially considering you're probably a man going his own way, listening to my words. Building friendships with like-minded men means you can pool resources and trade skills with each other. If one of you has electrical skills while the other has plumbing skills, you can trade those skills with each other and save money. Just be careful, however, as the government considers job swapping or job trading a taxable thing these days. 
It's like the world is set up so that if anyone gets any value from someone else doing a job, the government wants a piece of it. This makes me think that smart tax strategies are also very important for men going their own way. One strategy has always been to make as little money as possible so that you avoid paying taxes. The best part about being self-employed for me my entire life is that I've been able to write things off. I took working vacations and wrote them off. I leased new cars and wrote those off as well. And I bought all the electronics equipment and cameras that I needed for work and wrote those off as well. Being self-employed and making $35,000 a year and managing your money and expenses well is like making fifty dollars or $60,000 at a conventional job. That's what a lot of people don't seem to realize. If you work for yourself, you can do the work the way that you see fit and structure your life around traffic, which saves you money and gas. Usually when I have photo or video clients, I schedule shoots at off hours so that I don't have to fight traffic. That saves me time, money, and stress fighting traffic. People often ask me, are solar panels a good investment for your home? And I say they're a great investment for the person that steals the solar panels off your roof. They're literally getting a steal. You think in a coming world of scarcity, you want to project to the rest of the world that you have the ability to produce your own power? Having wind generators on your roof doesn't really work either. Wind only works in large open spaces, typically in the country or in the water. And you need to have a way to store or sell that wind or solar power back to the grid and make it worth your while. One good way to save money is to insulate your home and save money on energy, because you simply don't know what the winds of time will blow in. Sometimes spending money to save money is a good option. And the best advice I can give everyone is to prepare for both inflation and deflation of our economy and monetary system in the future. I don't know if the value of money will simply go up because the economy will make it scarce, so the value of that physical cash in your hands will rise, or if we'll have hyperinflation instead. Right now the two are seemingly perfectly balanced, but at some point that balance will no longer be there. So splitting up your wealth and having it outside of the banking system, in cash and precious metals, might actually be a really good idea. If there is a deflation, the purchasing power of cash will rise dramatically, and the precious metals that you have might lose 20 or 30% of their value, especially if they're gold and silver. So you might actually get ahead or even break even in under this situation. However, if there's a hyperinflation, then that cash will be worthless, but the gold and silver will triple or double in value in terms of purchasing power. Having both forms of money will protect you in the long run. But having all of your money in cash in the bank might mean that the government could confiscate it at some point in the future to prop up the banking system. And that's what we call a bail-in. So today, I've shared many strategies for protecting and growing your money and improving your financial outcome. But please remember to make your own decisions and not to listen to myself or anyone else. Well, that's all I've got to say for today. Thank you everyone for taking your daily dose of red pills. So enjoy the rest of your day, and cheers.